Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 is where we are today. Chapter 7 is where we are today. We continue our series through this particular book of of Scripture. And again, a general theme of overview that would help us to latch onto if we haven't yet, that the book of 2 Corinthians could could be described as being about receiving Christ, receiving the ministry of Christ through the church for life transformation. So that's what we're continuing to think about in a general sense this week. And then as we connect what we looked at last week in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and a very challenging, convicting call to, to respond to God's grace, His love in our lives that we don't deserve, by living lives set apart to Christ, we see that, that call in Scripture for us, we, we see today the invitation to, to welcome even the hard things that God has to say to us. So we could put it this way, last week we heard about how we should be unwelcoming, you might say, close the, the front door, be unwelcoming to the evil one, to ungodly thoughts and actions and words. We should try to uh, be set apart. So close, close the door, be unwelcoming to those things. And this week, you could say the Apostle Paul is inviting us to be welcoming, to open the door to God's Word, even the difficult things that God has to say uh, to us, even God's call to, I'm going to say a, a dirty word, I'm going to say a dirty word, God's call to repent, to repent. We're going to see in these verses today, it's a word we we really don't like, even in the church world today, but I hope what we're going to see is that if we welcome God's word, even his call to repent, we're going to see that God works powerfully in refreshing ways in our lives. Let's read today, not the whole chapter, for sake of time, I'm going to share a little bit about the background surrounding these verses. I want us to just look at verses 8 to 11. So we'll pick up kind of in the middle of this, verses 8 to 11, 2 Corinthians 7. It says this, For even if I made you grieve, the Apostle Paul speaking here, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what eagerness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness, earnestness, I should say, and then eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Let's pray again together. Oh, Father, help us today to see that a life of repentance, a repentant life, is in fact a beautiful thing that we should seek and desire. Lord, help us to 
receive and welcome what you have to say to us today about these things so that we might grow, that some here that maybe don't yet know you in a saving way might come to know you, and that all of us would walk more fully in the journey you have for us in Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been around me, you've probably heard me share uh, this, this, uh, this tale a time or two before. Uh, a pastor one day was spending time around the house, and his wife was looking for a particular, uh, a particular box, and she wanted his help finding it. And so he started rooting around here in this closet and that closet, and he ended up back in her closet that he, he rarely went into, and he certainly didn't go, you know, sort of rummaging towards the, towards the back. And as, as this pastor was rummaging towards the, towards the back of his wife's closet, he discovered off to the side, he found the box he was looking for, he discovered off to the side there was a carton of eggs. And it had five eggs in it. And then there was a pile of about eight or nine hundred dollars cash sitting right next to it. He was like, well, that's kind of odd. And so he, yeah, he took the box, found his wife wherever she was elsewhere in the house. He said, honey, here's what you were looking for. He, he said, but I, I got to ask you, I wasn't really sort of snooping around, but I saw this carton of eggs back there with, with five eggs in it. What is, what's up? And she said, well, honey, I just, it's, it's not easy to, you know, say difficult things to you sometimes. But uh, I guess, you know, since you found it, I, I should explain. She said, you know, every time you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the carton. Well, the guy was like, well, honey, I mean, I wish you would have told me, but that's all right. I mean, I've been preaching for a couple of decades, 50 sermons or so a year, only five that's, that's not too bad. You say, well, now, wait a minute. Tell me what's with the pile of cash that you've got back there. She said, well, this is even harder to explain. She said, when I fill a carton of eggs, I sell them. <laughs> well, it's not easy to say tough things, right? Uh, correcting things, rebuking things. Now, the Apostle Paul does that because he, he loves the people in Corinth. He cares about them enough to say the difficult things. And we don't really have to grasp all the details surrounding here. It's evident that he's kind of sent Titus out, and Titus is spending time with the Corinthians, and he's discovering that this earlier letter that we don't, we don't have in our possession today, but that he, he must have sent to kind of correct them, and it caused them some grief, upset them. They've now received it. At first, they weren't ready to receive that. We all know, you know, the first time somebody corrects us on something, we usually bristle at it. We don't usually receive it right away unless we're a particularly humble person. Most of us kind of bristle. And so now, though, the Corinthians are embracing it. They're seeing what Paul has had to say. And, and it's interesting that in a passage that talks in several places we just read about grief, about a sort of sorrow, it also mentions four different times just in this one chapter, joy or rejoicing. So apparently there is a way that we are invited and called to understand in the Christian life where we bring together through this thing of repentance uh, some measure of grief and sorrow about how we've fallen short of God's glory together with joy. And in fact, 
I think what the Apostle Paul's saying, at least what our message is going to be about today, is that if you want to get to that joy of the kingdom of God, that's the only pathway to go through. The only pathway to go through is a pathway of biblical repentance. And there's some sermon notes in the back of your worship guide. I feel like I've said this the last couple of weeks, but I'll say it again. Even if you don't normally look at those, you might want to look at them today because there was a lot that I was discovering. You know, if nothing else, the, the preacher gets, uh, sometimes gets fired up about the topic. And I was really engaged with this this week, I guess, because I'm just so needy and messed up. I needed to think about this, but I, I dove in deep. So we've got a lot of content for you there to wrestle with, even if we don't get to all of it. But, uh, but you can follow along in that that section if you'd like. And, and really, this is, this is the main idea, I think, of the whole chapter, that since every step of the Christian journey depends on repenting. By that, I mean you cannot enter the journey and you cannot continue in the journey of the Christian life without it. So since every step depends on it, we should bring joy to God he likes it when we repent. And to ourselves, the Apostle Paul says it's actually good for you and me. It is, in fact, not a dirty word. It's a good word through biblical repentance. Okay, so we're going to unpack this. We're going to talk about this uh, today. And, uh, and our first question is probably, you know, how, you know, how can that be? But I want to put it this way. If indeed, so let me whet your appetite. If indeed repentance is our path to greater delight in the work of Jesus, to greater power for transformation into the likeness of Jesus in this life, and greater preparation for our heavenly existence. Okay, if, if I can convince you of that, then repentance is actually great. It's actually a wonderful thing. All right, so what, it, what is being taught to us in this passage and elsewhere in Scripture about repentance? First of all, it's important. You can think all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you just barely scratch the surface on your read through the New Testament program some year, you, you at least made it through the beginning part of Matthew, uh, maybe read some of the other Gospels. They all begin in Jesus' early ministry with Jesus saying something like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. So I don't know about you, but I really, I want the kingdom of God. I want to live in the kingdom of God. I want the kingdom of God in my life. The way it's described in the Bible, Jesus says repent is, is, uh, is the pathway to it, repenting. Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized, verse 38, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ that your sins may be forgiven. There we see there's a connection between uh, publicly affirming your faith, baptism, aligning with the church, the people that were up front in, in front of you just a few minutes ago, and hopefully all of us as we were kind of reciting along in our minds with what they said. I don't know if you caught it. You know, there's sort of churchy words in the churchy process. They just got up in front of all of you and said, the first question is that we're hopeless and helpless sinners. That's what they just said in front of all of you. And then they said they, don't, they lay hold of Jesus for their salvation, for their hope. So that's, that's even, even in joining the church, that's what they're doing today. And then it says here, 
in the name of Jesus that your sins may be forgiven, Acts 2.38. So forgiveness is tied and connected as well with repentance. Number of passages in the Old Testament as well, Lamentations 5.21 just says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, restore us to yourself. So all throughout Scripture, we see that repentance is important. We also want to pause and say for a moment before we get into a definition of what we're talking about with repentance, that repentance and faith always go hand in hand. One way to think about them is just two sides of the same coin. You, know, you flip that coin in the air, and one side's flipping, and the other side's flipping. They're both, they're just tied together. Faith and repentance are connected. I'm going to quote from a guy named J.C. Ryle a number of times today. He says this. He says, true repentance is never alone in the heart of any person. It always has a companion, a a buddy, somebody alongside of it. It is always accompanied by lively faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to just sort of give us a, a picture, a way of thinking about it. Sun, you can't have sun without light or ice without cold, fire without heat or water without moisture. You'll never find true faith without true repentance. And you'll never find true repentance without lively faith. Why? If you had to answer and explain to somebody, why does faith have to go with repentance? What would would you say? Well, when you think about it, who's going to do what these folks just did? or what we invite everybody to do in the worship service every week when we have our call to confession and we sit there silently and I'm always distracted, but trying to think about, okay, what are some things I I really need to to acknowledge before the Lord? We're inviting, it's, it's a crushing thing in and of itself. We're saying we don't live up. We don't do all the good things we're called to do and we do bad things that we're not supposed to do. How do you do that? How do you actually take that step for the first time if you're coming to faith in Christ? Or how do you take that step of growth day in and day out? Well, you got to know, or I think you've got to know, that there's something to catch you when you take that, that leap off the edge and admit those things. That's God's grace. And we have God's grace through faith. So we've got to believe that that thing is there. And then the, feed, the thing feeds back on itself because you believe more and more that Jesus loves you and loves you at the deeper place that you've just repented, not just of surface things, but of heart issues. And then you realize, wow, when I do this, God meets me with love and grace in a powerful way. And now I actually want to repent more. I want to live a life of repentance. And it keeps circling back around on itself, building us up. So faith and repentance are absolutely tied together. We can't, can't go anywhere, you might say, without the two. Well, what is biblical repentance? And I put that in our little main idea, and then I put it again in this point, the phrase biblical repentance, because I want you to look at verse 10 and realize that there is a biblical repentance and a non-biblical repentance. I guess that's a nice way of saying there's true repentance and a false repentance. So if we're going to be If we agree with the idea that the Bible says repentance is important, we may be at least willing to consider the idea that it's a good thing we ought to pursue it, then the next question for us should be, well, am I, is the repentance I'm living out, is that biblical repentance? So look at verse 10. It says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Okay, so both of them involve being sorry about what happened 
And goodness, do I, I mean, on the one hand, I feel like I scarcely need to explain this. I mean, every news story where some celebrity or some politician or some athlete or somebody gets caught doing something wrong, we've seen so many of them, it becomes, we become a little bit cynical about it. But let's be honest, the question that arises in our mind or we get caught doing something or thinking something or saying something we shouldn't is, are they just saying it because they got caught or are they really sorry about it? That's, that's a huge question for us in our relationship with God. In fact, one quote I read that I didn't put down for you was by uh, Albert Camus. He was an uh, existentialist, I think, and an atheist. He wrote uh, something called The Rebel, and I, I, I haven't read that, that, uh, that work, but the quote was interesting. He said that when a person begins to deny God, the first thing they do is speak to him as their equal. Does that make sense? So repentance is acknowledging that God, we're not equals with God, right? <laughs> he sets the goal, he sets the parameters, and we're, he's the creator and we're the creature. Think about it this way maybe would be a, another way to, to drive at it. Think about Peter and Judas in the Bible. Both in a sense, turning away from, from God, turning away from uh, what they should have been doing, both around the same time of Jesus being crucified, crucial moment. Uh, Peter, at least, vowed that he, you know, he wouldn't do that. What's the difference, though, between Peter and Judas? Both recognized that they did something was wrong, that that was wrong. The difference is Judas from, from what we can tell, never confessed it to God and never sought forgiveness. He never repented. He never turned back, and his demise we're aware of was horrible. Peter, on the other hand, man, you, he messed up big time. I mean, not small potatoes. He's got an opportunity to do the thing that he said he was going to do, that he would be the rock, and he's got not just one opportunity, but three opportunities to do it, Jesus is taking brutal punishment uh, for him, for you and me, and Peter can't even answer the question in the affirmative one time out of three. That's pretty bad. That's not great. But Peter is restored. He meets with Jesus after, you know, Jesus dies and so forth, and Jesus really restores him. He's able to come back. So, you know, the beauty, again, repentance Seems, seems like a dirty word in our culture and even in our church culture these days. How many people do you know that will give you three opportunities to mess up? Five opportunities to mess up? Not small mess up, big mess up. Your boss, your good friends, spouse, your teacher maybe. How many people that will allow you to continue to return again that are gracious enough to do that. And the Lord says that he's welcoming us back over and over again every day. That in fact, the journey of repentance is, is that pathway. Well, let's talk for a moment about the components then of repentance. So how do I figure out 
if what I'm actually doing is biblical repentance. So you might be here today and you're not sure if you've ever come into a saving relationship with Christ. So you, you want to try to get some clarity on these things would be good. But those here that are in a relationship with Christ and you, you know him and are walking with him, if, we're, if repentance is the pathway to grow and to have greater joy in God, then we want to be able to do it in the way that God would have us to, to do it. I don't want to miss part of it. So let's, let's try to walk through these. I know it might, I guess it might be a little bit tedious, but I hope it'll be really refreshing for us. The first thing, first thing that scriptures teach, and we see it in our passage today, is that you've got to have a knowledge, an apprehension that you've fallen short of God's glory, of sin. Verse 11, the apostle Paul says that. They, they've realized that their eyes have been opened. They're not saying that it's, it's uh, untrue. I like what uh, Oswald Chambers says, and you've got some quotes in there from Ryle. I may just skip them and let them read you read them on your own. But Oswald Chambers wrote that little devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, that maybe you've seen. He says this sentence, I have sinned. I have sinned. He says, is the surest th- sign that God is at work when a man, in a man when he says that and means it. The entrance into the kingdom of God is through repentance, he says, I like this image, crashing into man's respectable goodness. Okay? So we're, we're crashing into all of our respectable goodness today. When we say we need to recognize that we've fallen short of God's glory. Let's, let's take one example. We'll try to map this out. Uh, coveting. Turns out that's one of the Ten Commandments. So it's in the big list there. And uh, coveting, the Apostle Paul says, was crucial because it helped him see his sinfulness. So maybe it's a good example for us. Let me try to put it this way. He says, a way to put it is this. One can't begin. You and I can't begin the process of repentance or progress in the journey of the repentant life, if we think it's fine to have a perpetually discontented attitude, only willing to be happy, satisfied, or joyful when we have what God has not chosen to give us. All right, that's what coveting is. So we've got to know, we've got to start with realizing that's not good to think that way. Okay, in our culture, we probably tell us a lot of things. Oh, that's actually the right way to think, you know, coveting is normal. So we've got to start there. So we've got to have knowledge of our sin. Number two, touched on this already, but verse eight, verse 10, I think nearly every verse that we read today uses the word grieved, which is a little bit stronger to me than just like being sad or even being sorrowful. But we've got to have grief about our sin as well. So we don't just have to be aware of it. We've got to have grief over it. So we could put it this way. Let's take a different, let's take a different one. We'll, we'll hit some other category. Let's take judgmentalism. Okay. For example, once a person recognizes they're, they are, are sinning, we can't begin that process of repentance and we can't progress in that journey of repentance. If we're not sorrowful, if we don't realize I'm sad that I have taken the place of God and decided to think poorly about another person, to judge them in my heart, thinking I'm better than them somehow. You've got you've to actually be sad that you and I are thinking that way. So there has to be some sorrow. The third thing is we're invited to confess it. We've got to confess the particular sin. Let's take worry and anxiety, for example, this time. That's one that 
plagues a lot of us in different kind of ways. And really, our passage today doesn't say as much about confessions, but Romans 10 speaks to that, that we need to confess in order to really have uh, salvation. So let's take worry and anxiety, for example. We recognize, we know it's a sin. We uh, uh, are beginning to feel sorrow and sorrowful about it. We've got to reach that point where we speak to God and say to God, it doesn't have to be some big magnanimous prayer, just a daily journey that we have really each of these areas where we say to God, "I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not believing that you're really in control of my life and that I can trust your care for me. I'm sorry that I'm turning to worry and anxiety instead. And I confess that, I acknowledge that to you. So knowledge of the sin, uh, sorrow about the sin, and then confessing it, we've got to speak to God about it. We can't stay silent on it. And then the next part of it is breaking off from the sin. means we've got we've to make a pivot. That's really what repentance means is turning. So we've got to at least have some intentionality to try to do that. Let's take a sexual temptation that affects probably all of us, many of us in different ways. You know, we've all got different sins that we struggle with. But it would mean that we know that's a sin, that we're sorrowful about that sin, we've acknowledged that sin to God, and then we say, what can I do in my life to put something in place, whether it's the covenant eyes on the device or some code on the cable box or a friend that we check in with when we're on a business trip or we change that job because the the person that we've gotten involved with or interacting with in our workplace we know is going too far. We make whatever change needs to happen. We break off from it. Genuine repentance is trying to move in that direction. And then the fifth thing, and uh, here's, here's one. I won't go back through all of that for you another time, but just hatred of sin. I, I thought about it with self-sufficiency. I don't know about you, but I love being self-sufficient. I really like it. (laughs) I like feeling like I can handle the things in life and direct my own life. I I like it. I don't hate it. True repentance means I would hate that. And instead, I would love being dependent upon God. Please, God, I want to be more dependent upon you. So we're learning to hate it. I unpack all of that because I think part of why some of us, myself included, maybe aren't aren't experiencing the spiritual growth that we would like to have is that we're not going deep enough. You know, we're, we're going to the doctor, but we're just getting the Band-Aid treatment, and we're not going deep enough to really receive God's grace and mercy. Let me read one thing to you as, we've, as I've dragged us all down into that struggle of repentance. I like, again, what Oswald Chambers says. He says, we trample the Son of God underfoot if we think that we're forgiven because we're sorry for our sins. Okay, so he's saying you're not going to generate enough of a repentant attitude. You're not going to be, let's put it this way, you and I aren't going to get good enough at repentance to somehow get that to cover us. Jesus has got to cover even our repenting, right? We got to repent of our repenting, you could say. He says the death of Jesus is the performance in history of the very mind of God. There's no room for looking at Jesus as a martyr. His death was not something to happen to him which might have been prevented. His death was the very reason he came, and God could forgive men in no other way. The greatest note of triumph, he said, that ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe was sounded on the cross. It is finished. That was the last word 
in the redemption of man. I hope you hear that today. That repentance can only happen because of Jesus. And even as we repent, we're going to be reliant upon Jesus and his mercy. Folks, we don't have time to unpack a lot about the difference between repentance and doing penance. Other than to say that as believers in Christ, God does desire that we put off the old thing. Ephesians 4 talks about that. Colossians 3 does. And then put on the new thing. So that's another element to this repentance journey that would help us where a lot of times we think about, I want to uh, stop doing what I shouldn't be doing. And we just are so fixated on that that we don't think about putting on the new thing. So I want to stop being angry without reason but I'm not seeking really to be developing a more loving posture. I want to stop being greedy and materialistic, but I'm not really getting serious about being generous and giving as a person. You want to, you want to change, you, you got to not only get rid of the old, but put on the new, put on a new garment, if you will. And we're invited to do that. So a Christian repentance is that. We're not really putting on the new thing to pay off the fact that we failed. So that's sort of how we think about penance in our society. We, we are, though, trying to live in a new way. That's part of repentance. Is repentance a work of God or man? You can look at those verses if you want. The cool thing is it's both. <laughs> you and I have to repent. It's something we have to choose to do. You can't sit there and say, oh, that was nice what that pastor said. That sure would be cool if repentance landed in my lap. That'd be great. I would grab hold of it. <laughs> you know, Do it. Seize the opportunity. Look at the areas of your life and mine where, and not just on the surface, but below. The last thing I've got for us is it a change of mind, change of heart, or change of action? D, all of the above. (laughs) We're messed up all the way through the way we think, the way we feel, the things we do. So I hope today you have maybe started to think about the reality of repentance because of God's grace and mercy as refreshing waters that we can jump into and indeed the pathway to deeper relationship with God and growth. Let me close with a couple of words from Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 is a great chapter of scripture on the uh, call, the challenge of repentance and the blessing and the joy of it. I won't read it all, but let's start at the beginning. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. That's grace in case you're not reading through the lines. Get stuff that you don't deserve. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. It goes on down and it says in verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him do what? Return to the Lord. Turn, pivot, shift, repent. And then the last part of the chapter says, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountain and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we want to experience life in relationship with you 
that sounds like mountains and hills breaking forth into singing. And we want to go out with joy. We want to experience that. Lord, help us to embrace the truth that you tell us today, even though it's hard for us to hear and hard for us to want to do, that that comes to us through turning to you, to turning to you, our gracious God, to turning away from the things that contaminate us, Lord, and desiring that not just on the outside, Lord, but in the deep, deep places of our soul. We pray that you would show us these good things in fuller measure, that we'd know you more deeply and serve you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen.